From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. You know, sometimes we come across a story that's so gripping and thought-provoking that we need to take the extra time to tell it. Temple University Press recently published a book written by a man who, when he was just a little boy, survived the killing fields of Cambodia. Often in the shadows of the Vietnam War, the four-year violent rule of the Khmer Rouge and the genocide that took the lives of over 21% of the country's population is described as one of the worst human tragedies of the last century. With 8, 12, 16 hours of work daily in the middle of rice paddies, scorching heat, monsoon season, with a little just small meals to survive. Because we work so hard, not enough food, not enough nutrients, not enough vitamins, most of us die. The incredible story of author Leth Un and his family is straight ahead on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Our featured book this month tells an incredible story. It's a story of pain, anguish, loss, and suffering, but it's also about resolve, determination, perseverance, and dreams. If you're not familiar with the killing fields of Cambodia, there were sites where more than a million people were slaughtered by the Khmer Rouge regime, which ruled the country from 1975 to 1979 after the Cambodian Civil War. Today, we meet a man who lived through it, as he and his family were enslaved there for four years. The book is titled A Refugee's American Dream, From the Killing Fields of Cambodia to the U.S. Secret Service, Author Leth Un and co-author Joe Samuel Starnes joins us now. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I will admit uh, that your story is so disturbing, so complex. I I actually struggle with a place to start. So what I'm going to do is jump right in with the start of those four years, Leth, at the mercy of the Khmer Rouge. You were just a little boy when you learned, after searching for him, that your father, who served in the Cambodian army, was killed. Now, this was the beginning of the horror. What was it like after that? Something that, as a young boy, never thought of what would happen in the future. But also, as a young boy that is only a boy in a family, all my families were in military, all of them were killed and executed. So I have... I have a mission to do, which is, number one, to find my dad. I couldn't find it. Number two, to take care of my mom and my sister and to survive through what I can't. Giving up is not one of the choices I have, to fight through it. Like one of the chapters says, I'm not going to die today. It's one could imagine an horror story that could never thought of what have happened. The falsify information that the community put out there. Everyone's going to be the f- doing what equally. There's no rich, there's no poor. Mm-hmm. So after that, and my mom had to take a double duties as mom and dad. Right. And she put a lot of everything in her life to make sure we're all safe and we're all fed. And the book's pretty much a love story of my mom and I and the family in general. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's a book of how to survive. Also, the book it's pretty much dedicate the whole thing to my parents, my dad, my mom, right. who raised raised us to be especially who I am today. All my sister. And another thing is, I always believe someone's upstairs watching over me the whole time. What I've been through, it's just it could have been dead, but I didn't. And he says it's not your time yet. Right, not gonna die today. I'm not gonna die today. Yeah. So you, your mother, and your sister were forced into the killing fields. If you can just give us a little snippet of what life was like at that time. The life during those four years, almost, prisoner who's tortured, interrogated in a different way, mentally and physically, with 8, 12, 16 hours of work daily in the middle of rice paddies, Scorching heat, monsoon season, with a little just small meals to survive. Because we work so hard, not enough food, not enough nutrients, not enough vitamins. Most of die while they're working. Either die of food, a lack of nutrients, or die of execution. Many times we, we were outside, there's no time we have so-called a break. Sometimes we eat food right in the middle of monsoon. The food never gets nothing but just the water coming down from the sky. And people take every chance they get, eat anything that is digestible, it's not poison, just to fill up the stomach to survive. I mean, the bodies can only take so much of that. And if you don't do it, you're going to die. So almost no choice but to do what we are told to do. I'm going to read from uh, the chapter called Darkness. It's a, it's a pretty heavy chapter, as the book is pretty heavy in general. But um, this kind of paints a picture of what you were just talking about. There were never any rest breaks. If you had to pee, you were expected to sit down and go where you were, right into the rice paddy. If you had to go number two, you asked a guard who told you to go and be back quickly. And if you didn't come back right away, the guard would find and punish you, often by denying any lunch at all. And if they thought you were trying to escape, it was very bad. I saw kids and adults who were tied to trees for hours at a time as punishment. Sometimes their heads were stuck in plastic bags, and they were left to the point of almost suffocation. Yes. Brutal. Very brutal. And therefore, many of us cannot even just lies, just a just a little take a break, but it's a chance that people take and chance that people don't want to take. Because punishment is one of the things enough that we don't have food to eat, let alone, you know, tie up for hours and days. Yeah. So that's one way they kill people. And you saw a lot of death. Yes. Many, many. Well. And one one time we escaped the ring to borders, and we were chased by many Khmer Rouge and Vietnamese soldiers. My mom and I, we have to lay next to a dead body, you know, fake death until they pass, and, and many times until the sun sets before we get up. Imagine you put yourself with the decomposed body and the rice paddy and, the, you know, the smell, the bones, and everything that are on top of you. So. Wow. Wow. Sam, I can only imagine your reaction when you first came across uh, Leth's story. You probably didn't hesitate to get involved in this project and write this book with him. 
Absolutely. I met him uh, at Widener University and I, when I wrote a magazine article for him for the alumni magazine. And I felt like I never couldn't do the story justice at all. I only wrote about a thousand words. So we stayed in touch and he left, started writing his own. He wrote about 50,000 words on his own. And about six or seven years ago, I decided, hey, I want to work on this book with him. And I'd written novels before and I never really wanted to write a nonfiction book. And I actually had never intended to be someone's co-author, but Leth's story is so exceptional that it, you know, I, it had to be done. And I'm really glad that I, he gave me the chance to work with him. And, uh, you know, this, the stories, you know, it, we've gone through some of the really heavy stuff, but, yeah. you know, he's been such a success here in America. So it's sort of a book that starts with, you know, tears of sadness and then comes to tears of joy. Absolutely. That's exactly what this book portrays. And, you know, Leth, the story is so heart-wrenching, your early beginnings as a little boy. No one would blame you if you came out of that hating everything and everyone and being completely bitter, but you were able to keep such a positive attitude and still dream. What kept you motivated? The story of my life is one of those is to motivate people, to teach people what life is all about. Mm. You can't be get up in the morning hating your life. I'm leaving proof just to tell people, you know what, it's a lot of more worth thing out there than just, you know, I didn't have my coffee, I get upset. You know? <laughs> right. So I, I turn everything to a positive, to I can teach people, you know, as many as I can. And telling stories is one thing, put it on a paper, it's in a book that's different things. And pass it on, turn everything to be educated people, you know. Um, life is not that difficult. Sometimes, most of the time, you know, sometimes you got to look at life struggles, but that's what life is all about. Yeah. You know, struggle make you more successful. No struggle, no progress. No right? struggle, no progress. Yeah, yeah. Is, struggle, it's a lesson learned. Learn from it, you move on and make correction and make it better. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Talk about your arrival uh, to America after struggles with homelessness and the refugee camps. What was it like uh, when you arrived to America? Um, after eight different refugee camps, I think seven in Thailand, one in the Philippines, and the camp that has no barbed wires, so we get freedom to walk outside, you know, enjoy a little beach or whatever. I said, well, I can live here. So we're waiting there to get the sponsors from America. And coming to America was never, ever thought of what would happen. Hmm. Two, three countries would be Japan, Australia, and France, because they're all very correlated, they a real close relationship with Cambodia in the centuries. Number two, I don't have anybody here. Mm-hmm. And the culture is different, the language is different, based on what they taught us in the Philippines. And I'm the only boy in the family. My mom, she's old. Sisters, old, made family with kids. What's going on in my mind in the Philippines? Like, how am I going to make a living here? I don't speak any English. And look at the language, completely different. And would I be able to learn to talk? Uh, went through a lot of debts in my life and cheating a lot of debts. So it's going to happen. It may, it may be difficult, but nothing impossible. So he taught a little bit about America, coming here, you know, to certain... Yeah, how to use bathroom, whatnot, and mm-hmm. that was a bigger thing. Like, wow. uh, yeah. So we used to go in, in the camp, just go on, you know, behind right. the tree over there. But yeah. here's like, what I do with this thing? So I get to be <laughs> like taught again how to use bathroom. Well, right. But coming to America was a completely shocked and 
the culture is different, language different, everything's there. It's overwhelmed, put it that way, it's overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But I went through it. I told myself when I got here, when I high school, Montgomery Blair, the old Montgomery Blair, I said, you know what? If I want to live in this country, I have to learn English. And I put a lot of time to it. You know? yeah. And from learning English, work hard, and then decide where I want to go from there. And you learned English, and not only that, but you attended Weiner University, and um, you accomplished a lot. You graduated from there. You were here in Philadelphia. I definitely want to talk about your time in Philadelphia after you graduated Weiner University. How did you come to Philadelphia? Philadelphia was one of, South Philly especially, with a lot of Cambodian population were there. So my mom has put a lot for us. Mm -hmm. She took double duties, mom and dad, make sure pretty much who I am today. So it's my time to make her happy. So Philadelphia one of the places where a lot of Cambodian population in South Philly is. So I want to see my mom gets up in the morning, can be able to talk the language, know the cultures, be happy. She could have come outside, you know, be friendly with everybody else. That's what I moved to Philly. Right. And Philly was everything started. Graduate from community college, Wyoming University, work a job of social worker, probation, and Correction Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. Did you meet Sophie in Philly? We met her in uh, Maryland, but okay. she moved to Philly first. So she moved over here, and we came here, well, engaged per se. It's one of the tradition pretty much in Asian. You don't really have a date. Oh. Pretty much arranged marriage. Okay, got it. We okay. grew to love each other ever since then. Aw, well, that's and lovely. We Timmy and Jennifer are my two kids. So you have two kids. I have two kids. Timmy and Jennifer. And yes. if, what are your kids' reactions when they, when they first learned about your story? They kind of didn't believe what really happened. So there's a, a special program back then in Cambodian history whatnot. The Keeling Field, usually they put a lot. I make them watch it. And, you know, sometimes watching TV or movie, it's a lot of editing to it. So I make them watch until they learn something. And keep telling them, you know, life is not all that hard. You got to go what you want to do and work hard for it. You'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. What sparked such an interest, Leth, uh, in becoming part of the Secret Service? So after graduating Weiner with social work, probation, and um, I always try to move myself in a way. Example, like working out. If I can run nine minutes a mile, why can't I try to move eight minutes a mile? So I kind of challenged myself. So after work for the city, like, um, then we started to work with the federal. So the Department of Justice correction that on 700 Orange, that's where I used to work before 9-11. Mm -hmm. And that was a funny story I tell people all the time because I have no idea what it is. So I applied. When they applied, you know, the federal government, so like, how far can I go? So I applied on the name Social Security and date of birth. So Miss Beverly Primo called me, like, hey, uh, this is Department of Justice. First thing, I was like, well, I didn't do anything wrong Why you called me. <laughs> And she had to explain the whole thing. Well, we have received your application for, you know, Department of Justice as correction officer. I said, what is correction officer? I have no idea. I just like, you know what, looking good, Department of Justice. Right. She has a lot of patience, put it that way. Most people are like, you know what, forget you don't know what it is, goodbye. Worked there over three years, 9-11 happened. And, you know, I love this country. It's my country. I went to one of the Army base recruit office. Like, hey, I want to join Army, the volunteer to go to Afghanistan. So I guess maybe because I was 32, 33 years old already and said, okay, you know, uh, we'll call you. So what, 24, 25 years? I haven't get that call yet. 
So, and then the secret service come, they, like the building next door to us, and I applied, like, um, you want to come to secret service? I said, but I always afraid that because I wasn't born here to become a secret service, I always thought that, you know, they had to be beyond the United States, mm-hmm. you know. I applied and called me. So I took the written test twice, and I was the second oldest in the whole class, 24 people. But uh, physical fitness, I was like, not too bad. Okay. So you first served under President Bush. President Bush and Obama, Trump, and now Biden. So four different administrations. So um, I get seven more months to go. I'm retired. Oh, got it. Yeah. Got it. Tell me about your bond with Rake. Rake is a special dog. I <laughs> love him. Like He's like my son. Yeah. He's a bilingual. He speaks Cambodian and English. Really? He yes. answers to both. Yes. He was only one dog in the whole service that understand two languages, and he's the only one that lived almost 17 years before he died. Wow. We travel almost around the world. And this is him on the cover of the That's book. him right there. Yeah. Um, it's built in Malinois, if you know anything about it. Very high-strong, high-drive dogs. Runs fast, talks a lot, too. So, <laughs> But uh, him and I, is very bond to get really wild. Every time we do a campaign in detail, I always have for two bedrooms, hotel. First thing, he goes first. He's a bomb-sniffing dog. Not like anything would be there, but he would go first and walk around. Everything is good. So I asked him, which bed do you want? So the bed that he jumps on it, that could be his bed the whole night. <laughs> Got it. It's, uh, of course, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, a little fussing in my ear, and his head and my head together again. So Ray is a great dog. I think it's great that you were able to bond with Ray, especially when you were a little boy. You yes. had a dog. Had a dog. That was murdered for no reason. That was a, one of the heartbroken, lost part of my body. And mm. Dino and I, we grew up together just like Reich. Dino and I grew up, I was a young boy until. Dog is my life. I love dogs. I had a great opportunity to work with Reich for nine years. And I enjoyed every minute of it. We worked well together. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. What was it like uh, returning to Cambodia after 32 years? The first few minutes were shocking. Get off the C-17, the uh, cargo plant military, get outside, looked outside, hot, humid, scorching, palm trees, everything, smelled it, uh, and this is Cambodia. And the thing before that was like, if anybody's going to shoot me. Think of back in the past, I went there with my dad one time during the war. You know, you hear nothing but rocket launching, explosion everywhere. Like, but after minutes later, I realized, you know what? The war's over. That was in the 70s. This is totally different time. So Wright looked at me, and this is what I said about dogs. If you love dogs, you can lie to judges. But you cannot lie to dogs. Dog mm-hmm. knows you. Whether you show them the fake or true love, they know, they understand that. And Rice kind of asks question, okay, what's going on with you? <laughs> but, you know, finally pull him out, put him in the kennel, um, travel to the hotel. And we told him, hey, you know what? we get job to do, you know. We get mission to accomplish, make sure the president and staff are safe. And like the one thing we use in the Secret Service all the time, failure is not our option. So we get a job to do. It's just mm-hmm. like my dad, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. The lesson from your father still, I can tell, is still with you. He's still with you. 
I believe so every day, and every time I travel, I always ask my mom and dad to watch over me. I mean, especially we went to uh, overseas, Pakistan, Iraq, whatnot. I say, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to this country. Watch my back. I'm sure they would be watching on me, smiling at me right now. I'm sure. Yeah. Tell me, I want to hear from both of you. What would you like people to come away with when they read this book? Um, three things I want people to understand. One, educated people. What I can do, I live through it. There's nothing impossible. Number two, hopefully this book will inspire many people to motivate where you want to be. Set up your goal, work hard, aim high, and don't quit. You're going to be there. Difficult obstacles are lessons for you to learn. Once you pass those, success is right there. And number three of that book is the proceed will go to help Cambodian kids. I always say this, I grew up poor, and we don't have flip-flops to wear, and Many times I ask my dad, my mom just gave me a little toy, it cost about 50 cents. They can't afford that. So I, I went back there to see all those kids who want something. The only thing they know crying, and apparently they can't afford it. We went back and last month and see all those kids. Uh, they don't know what ice cream tastes like. That's my goal in that book is to educate, motivate, and help the poor. Yeah. And uh, the site of the killing fields um, left. It's now a memorial, I understand, for, for the victims. Yes, uh, it's a memorial. I went the second time uh, to look for see if the first time I missed my family, but not the second time I went there. I could only went to six rooms. The sixth room where they have all the pictures, the victim, the innocents there. I couldn't take anymore. So that's where they house, interrogate, and torture all the innocent before they take them to the killing field where they do an interrogation. Um, the last time I went with President Biden to take my co-workers to a place, they have one grave, it's... 464 bodies found there. And then there's another grave, I think 68, they call Hitler's body. So what they did to kill them or they murdered them by not using knife, they're using the palm tree. It's almost like a saw, that's how they cut those. So, and then the worst thing which got me, it's with the the grave with the women's and children. So what they did to the children, they smashed the children to the tree. That's how they killed the children. They tossed it to the graves. Mm. So those two graves, three graves, it it just like got me almost like so painful and make me like, you know, uh, motivate me even more. There's a lot of people die. There's unknown people die. And here I am, you know, Living in America, you know, we're all human beings. A certain day when we get up, is a bad day. But every time I think of those innocent people that die, that, so they have a picture of as a child working on a rice paddy. That's exactly what happened. And when I got there, I told him I was there. I said, those pictures are the real picture. I lived through it. I worked there many years. Skin to the bones. Many times I couldn't even get up to walk home. My mom, that's another thing about my mom is she would carry me home because I couldn't walk anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it doesn't seem real. I mean, the more you know, and I had seen the movie The Killing Fields and knew a little bit about Cambodia before I left, but not much. But then when you sit down and write it and think about the agony and the things that people went through, and I mean, that was twenty five percent of Cambodia's uh, population at that time that did not survive. But your story is inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. The book is out of Temple University Press, A Refugee's American Dream, From the Killing Fields of Cambodia to the U.S. Secret Service. Author Leth Un and co-author Joe Samuel Starnes, thank you so much. 
Thanks for having us again. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Sharaday Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.